and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan Lee Davies, and here is my co-host Gavia Baker-Whitelaw. Hello. So this is the first part of our two-part episode summing up the films that we saw at the New York and London Film Festivals, respectively. I think we each saw 19 movies each at the fest. (laughs) Many films. Yes. Many films. (laughs) We will not be talking about all of them because that would be impossible, but we are going to be going through... Each of us saw a few things that the other had also seen, so we'll be discussing those. And then we also saw a lot of stuff that we didn't see, so we'll be telling each other about some of the highlights and hopefully giving you some recommendations for stuff that you should check out once it reaches screens near you. So we're going to start with just a little bit of an overview of the festivals uh, to give you a sense of context and then diving into some of the movies more specifically. Uh, So this is, I think, seventh year that I've attended the New York Film Festival twice as press and um i was not really wowed by it i think you had a much better festival than me so you may have some more movies that you'll be talking about over the course of these episodes i had a great time yeah (laughs) i saw several movies i thought were fantastic which we'll discuss but um it's always really interesting to see what choices the programmers make in terms of what they're prioritizing And obviously, there are lots of political decisions going on behind the scenes in terms of what is available to be screened and what they're rejecting. So I don't know exactly what was going on. But um, the New York Film Festival, as people may know, and we'll certainly hear from our coverage, is very, very heavily focused on foreign language films, which I think is great. Its brief is very different from London. So like you guys get a lot of English language films that aren't going to be released in the UK for a long time because UK film distribution sucks. (laughs) And I really like having access to foreign movies that maybe wouldn't be on my radar otherwise or are going to take a long time to come out here. But they will usually have a few sort of buzzy English language movies. And they had a couple of those this year, but fewer than usual, which in theory is fine. But I found a lot of the programming to be tiny little foreign movies in a way that was almost performative. And that's fine if the movies are good. But some of these were bad and a lot of them were like man films to an extreme degree and I was sort of watching and thinking like why there was a movie called zombie child that was about like Haitian zombie stuff that I discovered after the fact had been directed by a white French man a white French man I I saw that in the listing and I was like interesting and then I checked out and I was like not watching this I'm glad my decision was correct based on that potentially reverse racist decision. (laughs) It wasn't even like the most offensive movie I've ever seen. There was just something about it that was very off. And then by the end, it was really off. And I looked it up afterwards and was like, oh, I understand now why this felt not great. And the worst movie I saw by far was this German movie that won the Silver Bear at the Berlin Film Festival, which is like second place, um, called I Was at Home But, that was directed by this um, German female filmmaker. It was genuinely a parody of... European art film. <laughs> like, just random stuff happened. There was barely any dialogue. People just, like, looked intensely at each other. Like, a child had done a bad thing and it was never really explained. And, like, there was a long monologue <laughs> about the nature of acting. And <laughs> it was over, and the people I had been sitting with, like, we all just looked at each other and burst out laughing because it was so <laughs> absurd that I just, like, And so I kind of was questioning some of their programming decisions and whether they had made the best choices. So I didn't have the best festival. I definitely had a better time last year. However, I did see some great stuff, which we will talk about, um, including Parasite, which we we can't discuss. The hottest film of the year. The hottest. (laughs) We literally can't talk about this 
it, you cannot talk about the movie without spoiling it. It's impossible. And I think that uh, the sort of spoiler phobia has reached ridiculous lengths in general in the culture. But this is a movie you actually really should know nothing yeah. about. I mean, it's by a director I love. Yes. Bong Joon-ho. And from the very first screenings of this movie, it was very heavily hyped. I've not seen it. The one weird programming detail at the London Film Festival was like, very great program in general, but they didn't screen Parasite and it's not entirely clear why. So I will not be seeing that until like February 2020. Because uh, <laughs> UK distributions like that. But um, I have now blocked the word Parasite and Bong Joon-ho's name on Twitter. And I'm hoping that'll tide me over for the next three months. Yeah. So that was perhaps the best movie I saw at the festival, except maybe Marriage Story, which we'll discuss in a minute. But if you're uh, in America, that's now sort of platform releasing. So when it comes to your city, I highly recommend it, but I can say no more. So that was kind of my festival experience. Gab, do you want to say any general notes on what London was like? Yeah, I don't really have any like insight into the culture of what's going on in London Film Festival. I just, I think it was a really good program this year. There was a lot of quite mainstream stuff that was excellent. There was also a lot of weirder stuff that was excellent that I saw. And it helps that a lot of the programming was just things that I'm interested in, you know. It's like my number one goal going into this festival was to go see The Lighthouse, which is the black and white movie about two men being miserable in a lighthouse um, by the director of The Witch. And it was sublime. I loved it. It's one of my favorite films of the year. Yeah, that's that's all I have. But I mean, you know, some other films we're going to be talking about um, in this one, Pain and Glory, Baccarat, uh, Judy, which is the Judy Garland biopic. There is this movie called Monos, which was amazing. And then in the next one, we've got Portrait of a Lady on Fire, David Copperfield, Atlantics, The Irishman, The Two Popes, and about 50 million other movies, which we'll be talking about in much shorter doses because only one of the two of us saw them. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think we're, we're kicking off with Marriage Story because this is Morgan's favorite movie. And it's just, it's really excellent. I feel like... um. We never really have a precise idea of what our listener base is, but I'm sure we have a lot of listeners who have mixed feelings, if not negative feelings, about Scarlett Johansson, which I definitely understand and, in terms of her public persona and political ideals, agree with. She makes some distasteful comments. Um, however, this film really did remind me that she's really fucking good at acting. <laughs> um, it's literally just like a straightforward comedy drama about two I mean, not normal people because they're rich people who work in the show business, but it's an actress played by Scarlett Johansson and an independent uh, New York theatre director played by Adam Driver. And they are married and decide to get a divorce. And the whole movie just kind of covers the process of the divorce in a really interesting way. It's like, you know, you get all the emotions and the humour and the weirdness of the situation, but also it kind of goes into the legal nitty gritty of what actually happens there. And I've actually never kind of seen anything that depicts that. Um, and I think it's, it was just really interesting kind of anthropologically, but also super entertaining and just amazing performances from every single person. And the whole supporting cast is great as well. Yeah, the supporting cast includes uh, Laura Dern, who plays the Scarlett Johansson character's divorce attorney, and she's, like, very high-powered. She's based on a real divorce attorney, apparently, who d represented Scarlett Johansson and <laughs> Noah Baumbach's ex-wife, and I think also Laura Dern. So, like, this woman has got it locked down in Hollywood. Very impressive. She's so Hollywoodish. Just the performance is sublime. Yeah. Alan Alda <laughs> plays the Adam Driver character's first divorce attorney who's kind of a bit bumbling. And then Ray Liotta plays another divorce attorney who is like the top, top tier sort of male asshole Shark. version. And they're all great. Like within the first five minutes of this movie, I was like, I love this. I'm in. I Away from the first sort of hysterical flush of reaction, I've calmed down a little bit and I do think it has some flaws, although they're pretty minor. Um... 
So Noah Baumbach has made many films, uh, a couple of which I love, including Francis Ha, which you famously do not enjoy. Detested. <laughs> yes. Utterly detested. <laughs> My favorite of his movies still is The Squid and the Whale, which was made around 15 years ago, and is also about divorce. That was very autobiographical. His parents got divorced when he was a teenager. And a lot of it is from the point of view of the kids, inspired by him in particular. And it's very acerbic. Um, his father in that is clearly a narcissist. And it is generous in certain ways, but also pretty cutting about the father character in particular. And my parents are divorced, and I really love divorce stories. So I was like primed to enjoy this movie. And this the story of this film has no resemblance to my you know, family experience, but it's material that I'm interested in for that reason. And um, I responded to it very intensely. I think the acting, as you said, is just like beyond good. It's been really interesting to me to watch the reactions from people at these various festivals because Adam Driver is probably my favorite working actor. I think he is like incredible in everything. I've loved him since Girls. And I think he's amazing in this movie. But the response has been so heavily tilted toward him. And I think uh, my theory is that it's largely because people are not happy with Scarlett Johansson at the moment because of the stuff she says publicly. And like you, I understand this because it's distasteful and I disagree with her about a lot of that stuff. Um, the Woody Allen comments in particular were very disgusting. But I think it's unfair to the movie in a way to not talk about the performances on equal terms because the entire point of the film is that it's about this relationship, right? Yeah. And I also think that like in terms of the way, I guess, we, we culturally talk about that was a really great performance or a stereotype of an Oscar performance, especially if we're talking about to listeners who are not you know, familiar with this movie, what sounds like a serious drama about divorce, right? Which is literally the last thing in the world I would ever want to watch. <laughs> First of all, it is a comedy drama. It's very funny all the way through, but it's not one of these things where you're like, oh, there's a histrionic Oscar moment, you know, or this is a really intensive performance that's going to really, you know, gut you. It's just so kind of real and sincere and the humour comes from such a natural place. And each of the characters is so specific, even though they are obviously completely fictional characters, they are kind of inspired by various elements of the filmmaker's real life. Um, but it just seems so precise. And it's very rare to see a movie that just managed to, manages to kind of encapsulate that level of realism while also being very funny and on an artistic level it's like yes it's realistic but it's not kind of documentary style they've got all this sort of like sweeping music in the background it's structured very carefully in a very intelligent way it just like all around the whole package has been put together exquisitely <laughs> yeah I think that it's just artistically obviously an incredibly accomplished movie in a way that is subtle enough that is not necessarily begging for accolades, although obviously this is going to get nominated for a ton of Oscars and their Netflix is campaigning it very hard. But for instance, the cinematography I think is fantastic and like doing so much, but it's not flashy. Most of this movie takes place in Los Angeles. The basic setup is that they've lived in New York for their entire relationship. The Adam Driver character is a theater director doing kind of odd off-Broadway things. And the Scarlett Johansson character is an actress. She's from LA originally, and she decides she wants to go back there, and she moves there with their son. And then because he was, the son was born there, and she's from there, and they were married there, 
there's not really any legal grounds that the Adam Driver character can use to remove the son back to New York. And so his life is kind of thrown out of whack by this because he really doesn't want to move to LA. But like, unfortunately, there's not a lot that he can really do about it. And so most of the movie is shot in LA. And there's just something about the way the light is captured there that feels so different from the scenes shot in New York. And it's not like there are all these big, you know, landscape shots of the beauty of Los Angeles. It's done very subtly. No, they're all just like in in apartments. Yes, but you (laughs) completely feel the difference of the spaces there and the feeling of the place is so different. And that's the kind of level at which the movie is operating, right? Like it's not banging you over the head with any of the technical things, but all of it is coming together in a package that is incredibly you know, finely tuned to make you feel a certain way. And the acting, as you said, is not like big Oscar acting. They just feel like real people. But they also like the sort of best scene in the movie is they have near the end this huge, 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 like screaming fight with each other. But because it's so well written, it doesn't feel histrionic. It feels like they've just lost it finally, right? Like they just can't take it anymore. And a lot of the movie is sort of made up of these sequences of them pushing this divorce process further and further and further, even though they clearly should just have settled and like had it be over with. And that's not how divorce works. (laughs) Like people just keep doing it for way too long because it's about the emotion, not about the money or anything. And I felt very frustrated with them because it was sort of agonizing to watch, but the movie makes you understand why what's happening is happening. And while you're frustrated with them, you still feel empathy for them, or at least I did. And um, I just think it's really brilliantly pulled off. I do think I mean, people had sort of observed this, and I think it's true. The Adam Driver character gets more screen time than the Scarlett Johansson character. And it's not wildly out of whack, but I do think it's a little bit imbalanced. I don't think the movie is more sympathetic to either one of them. It feels very emotionally fair. No, I thought it was quite equal. But he definitely does have more screen time. And I think the place where that is most obvious is that you don't see a lot of her alone with the kid. There are a lot of scenes with him with the child and it doesn't go very well. So like, it's not like it's valorizing him as a great dad. There are these sort of abysmal scenes where he's just fucking up and they're really well written. But you don't get very much of that with her. Yeah, I mean, it kind of, to me, felt like the reason why, I don't know if this was the logic behind it, but it kind of felt like a unintentional or subtle depiction of like when the kid's with mom, it's normal. So it's unremarkable and doesn't need to be commented upon. And when the kid's with dad, it's, it is remarkable. And so you show it and you show him like fucking up. <laughs> yes, I think that that was what was happening, which I think wasn't great. And there's one scene with Adam Driver that has been like, tweeted about a million times because all the film critics were like oh my god which i'm not even gonna say what it is because if you've been on twitter you know what i'm talking about and um i don't think it needed to be in the movie that's my bold take because i saw morgan either tweeted this or told me about it before watching the film and after watching the movie i was like yeah she was right um the very famous charming scene it went on for like a fucking minute and a half and i was like just cut it no need but i understand why you kept it in and i respect it yeah (laughs) so those are my quibbles but they are relatively minor. And again, like I want to emphasize how incredible Scarlett Johansson is in this. I kind of have been thinking more about her character than his after the fact, even though she's not in the movie quite as much. And I understand why people are angry at Scarlett Johansson. I too am angry with her. But 
she is so good in this movie. I mean, do you know what I keep thinking back to, though? Is like, so the subplot when she moves to LA is that she gets this job on a TV show and they never go into what the TV show is, but it's clearly fucking idiotic. It's yes. like, she's, it's like, it's like some kind of dumbass sci-fi show where it's like people turn into plants. And then towards the end, there's just like a callback where she just mentions, oh, we just shot the scene where such and such turns into a ficus. It went really well. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is the art you're making. <laughs> yes. And, like, it would have been so easy for Noah Baumbach to make a movie. It's obviously not a true story or anything, but it's very much about his divorce. Like, he was married to Jennifer Jason Lee, who is an actress. And she, as far as I know, still lives in Los Angeles. And he lives in New York. And, like, it's all kind of in there. And just depict the wife character as being, like, a huge bitch. And that's so not what the movie is at all. Like, he, It's really sympathetic. Yeah. And he was describing it in a press conference afterwards as a love story like he wanted to make a movie that was a love story and this was kind of what he landed on which is like perfect for Noah Baumbach if you know his work like the, he made a divorce movie but that really is how it feels unlike the squid and the whale which is all about like a divorce and the kids and the fallout if this is about the relationship between these two people and they're really not bad people it's just that divorce makes you insane and that the whole thing kind of blows up and I found it really really moving and affecting and thought that both of their performances were unbelievable and I, I can't recommend it highly enough it'll be in theaters beginning of December it's a Netflix movie but they're releasing it for around a month or so and I would recommend seeing it in the cinema um just to feel the laughter around you yeah people will laugh and even though it's not um sort of visually flashy as I was saying it just and is about technically like a small thing it's about one relationship there's a sort of epic feeling to it I think that I really enjoyed experiencing in a theater so yeah do that if you can i loved it so another movie that i saw that you did not see at nif was pain and glory which is the new film by pedro almodovar starring antonio banderas which is out in the united states now it's uh, platform releasing so it may be in your city or it may not and this is another autobiographical film about an aging gay filmmaker <laughs> who is clearly very directly based on Almodovar himself. And he is dealing with a lot of physical health issues. He's had spinal surgery, which it seems like Almodovar has had, and various other things, and uh, is also dealing with the recent death of his mother, and goes through, it sort of goes through a series of um, relationships that he's had in the past with various people in his life. So like an actor he had had a falling out with like 30 years before, and then uh, an ex-boyfriend who kind of shows up in his life again for one long scene. And then the stuff with his mom again recurs and it is good. I didn't think it was great. It's been interesting to me to watch the reaction to it online because I have seen a lot of, middle-aged male critics particularly middle-aged gay male critics go like totally nuts for this movie which makes sense to me because it is about like aging and that experience and I completely understand why it would hit someone who's in that part of their life in a different way than it hit me and like art affects us all subjectively so that's totally fine um, and I also am not someone who's familiar with Almodovar's work really at all. And I think that this movie is probably very, very rewarding to people who are like, no, yeah, the of impression I've definitely got is that, you know, the fans are very enthused. Yes. 
which again, like I totally get that. You know, Paul Thomas Anderson, we're making like an autobiographical film like 20 years from now, all about his life that was like with callbacks to all of his movies. I'm surely would be very excited. But I just didn't find it to be like the most remarkable movie I'd ever seen. I definitely enjoyed watching it. It's very funny. And something. there are also parts of it that are very moving. Antonio Banderas, who again is the lead character, is incredible. I think he will get nominated for an Oscar and rightly so especially in the sort of English language world, we know him for playing very sort of campy out there characters who are very physically capable, right? That's kind of the image we have in our heads when we think of him. And in this, he's playing someone who's clearly aging, who's not doing well physically. It's a very recessive performance. Um, He apparently had a heart attack like a year and a half ago, which he said influenced the role, which I was not aware of. Um, he looks great. He was there at the press conference. He came out wearing like very tight white jeans. It was just... I like it when they do like a promo tour that's very clearly making it very obvious that I'm so different from the role I was playing on screen. And it's like, in this case, it's like Antonio was like, please remember that I'm still very sexy. Yes, that was absolutely <laughs> the vibe. It was very funny. And he is worth seeing this movie. Like that alone is worth the price of admission. Like I would recommend this to people who are interested in film definitely interested in oscar stuff because i think it's going to be a big thing but i didn't find the direction that remarkable the cinematography was kind of pedestrian and i think that it's a little bit too nice so like he has these sort of conflicts with people and he's having these issues with pain and everything kind of works out fine in the end with all elements of the story so the most interesting part to me was the relationship with the um, actor from his past who he had this big falling out with, who he kind of winds up interacting with again. And that actor did a great job and they have these sort of spiky scenes together that are really enjoyable. And then it all just kind of works out. And then the old flame shows up and they have a very beautiful scene together, but basically it's just like very positive, which in and of itself obviously is fine. Like people have those interactions, but because everything in the movie basically winds up being just like, good it felt a little bit like okay so was pedro just like well if i die in the next couple of years then i've solved everything i don't my know. film about myself <laughs> and like his mother did die and there's he's clearly sort of wrestling with that and he obviously had some issues in that relationship there are a lot of flashbacks to his childhood that are presented in a way that felt a little bit again too nice like he grew up in extreme poverty and obviously did directly experience that himself but the way it's shown in the movie you don't really get the visceral sense of what that was like like they have to Penelope Cruz plays his mother in the film and at one point they move from like one part of their village to another into this house that's like underground is called like a, a cave and she's really upset because this is a sign of extreme lower classness right like it's a real social fall down for them to be in this place but they sh- the camera shows it and it's this like beautiful whitewashed space. <laughs> and so you're like, well, I intellectually understand her reaction because clearly she's signaling something that like I, as an American, I don't get, but it's obvious what she's saying. But like, I'm looking at this and this looks like not the worst place to live, right? Like this doesn't seem horrible. And I mean, this kind of sounds like the opposite of Roma. Yes. There's a sort of thing at the end where you understand a little bit what he's doing with the flashbacks, but I just felt it didn't totally click for me 
And then, like, the Almodovar character is sort of experimenting with heroin throughout the movie, which there's a whole backstory with previous people in the 80s. And the actor friend who he reconnects with has heroin problems. And I, it was very stressful because I was like, don't get addicted to drugs. Don't get addicted to drugs. Like, this is horrible. And he just kind of decides at a certain point that he's not going to do them anymore. And that's the end of the heroin. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I don't. Okay. And it just felt like it wasn't willing to go to certain places that the movie should have gone if this was the story he wanted to tell. And again, like, I definitely enjoyed it. Like, BB Plus, the elements that were good, I really liked, but it just was lacking a certain something for me. But I would recommend it. It's going to be a big movie this year, I think. And certainly, if you're someone who's familiar with his oeuvre, it is gonna be a big thing i definitely want to go back and watch more of his films which i mean i have for a long time it's just a blind spot for me but yeah it, i was mixed on that but banderas is great like truly fantastic which was nice and he was very very eloquent at the press conference he's just oh, like a an, wonderful an man interview so that was nice with mr banderas any interview he is a good interviewee he has yeah. thoughts he he describes those thoughts with a plume he was genu- genuinely, like, profound in his brief moments of talking about this. And I was like, oh, the guy's very moved. smart. Like, He's yeah. smart. He's a mature, smart, sexy adult who is academically qualified in men's fashion design. He's got it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, positive marriage story, mixed pain and glory. Would you like to move into a film that we both liked, but you were very into. I was very into. Back around. (laughs) I think probably very into is partly because it's almost edging into the sci-fi zone, which means that it gets like an extra bump up in my estimation. This is a Brazilian movie called Baccarat, which I believe is out in like a couple of months in the US. It's quite hard to describe this film because like the genre label is weird Western. Uh, which is nominally what this film is. You know, it's set in a part of Brazil, which is basically like the outback. It's a lot of brushland. Um, It's in a secluded small town. And the way the film is structured, it's quite hard to discuss this without going into spoilers because I really want to highly recommend this movie. But I think that it's best experienced by watching it and kind of seeing the story unfold. Because I went into this film not really knowing anything apart from that it had some kind of sci-fi element. It's set in the near future and it's a weird Western. So it kind of opens with some characters who come from this village returning to the village after some time away. And you find out that there's no water in the village. So they're traveling in on a water truck, which immediately kind of tells you some stuff. And they're there for a funeral. So you have this kind of funeral service. And you basically, the first half of the film is just like you're being introduced to this town, you know, and it's populated largely by either non-famous actors or non-professional actors. Um, the filmmakers kind of got a lot of people who were from this part of Brazil. It's a very diverse cast. Uh, there are a lot of queer and trans characters in this movie, just kind of incidentally, even though it probably wouldn't be characterized as quote-unquote queer cinema. But it's just meant to be the sort of example of rural community that is diverse and kind of outsiders and you can kind of see that they are going to be clashing with whatever the government of the country is and you don't have to know very much or anything about Brazilian politics to kind of understand where this film is coming from because it's a sort of community which feels the pushback of the government 
without necessarily being remotely involved in politics at all because you're so removed from the people who are in charge in the upper classes, both geographically and like socially. But I think in terms of the world building for this, it kind of is like Children of Men before Brazil, but much less depressing. It's actually quite uplifting in many ways. It's very funny in a kind of naturalistic way. And it has this great ensemble cast of kind of weird and interesting characters who all come together to deal with a problem that emerges in their town. (laughs) And there's just lots of really fascinating interviews that I have since read with the filmmakers about kind of the creative process for this, where, you know, they had a lot of improvisation with the non-professional actors who are working on the film. So there's lots of different elements. There's like musical elements. At one point, there's like a capoeira dance scene. There's sort of surreal drug elements. However, it's very watchable and entertaining, in my opinion. (laughs) Fun and accessible movie. (laughs) Well, so I saw this again at a critics screening, right, at the film festival. And I had heard good things about it, but I didn't know anything about it. And can't really talk about it without spoiling it, but it turns into a very genre movie, right? Yes, yes. It enters much more into the sort of, you know, there's some violence. It is western-y. There's some, you know, sci-fi kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a bit of a horror movie, I think. It's influenced by John Carpenter and there is a piece of music by John Carpenter in the soundtrack. Certainly the experience of watching it, I think, you get some of the same feelings as watching a horror movie in the cinema. And the critics I was watching it with, like the the critics audience (laughs) was just like fucking into it, man. It was so raucous and noisy. I mean, it would be much louder with a pedestrian audience but it was really fun to see a movie like this after seeing some uh movies where people gaze into the distance and don't talk like i was like yes finally entertainment like please i thought it was a little bit too long the opening part where you that you were just describing where they're really establishing what the town is about and what the dynamic is between these people is important to the movie because then there's a big shift and something else happens And I think it is important to have that part, but I did think it went on a bit too long. I was sort of, it's a very long movie. And I was kind of like, okay, like, yes, we've been here a while. And clearly this is not what this whole movie is. So like, what's going on? And then once the sort of shift happens midway through, it becomes much faster paced and much plottier. And I think if they had compress the beginning a bit that that would have helped and it also has a bit of a return of the king thing going on at the end where there are like seven endings which is fine this is fine this is a good number of endings and beginnings (laughs) but i really really enjoyed it i mean it's about imperialism right yes like we will we will say no more but it was very intelligent on that front and um very smart and very fun to watch yeah Lots of charming, idiosyncratic characters. Yes. And again, just like a delight in a festival program full of like high art movies. <laughs> I was like, yeah, excellent. Um, and it's something that, I mean, it won't be a hit in America for a number of reasons I can't get into, but it's the sort of movie that should people should go to because it was fun. I mean, it's definitely been getting kind of a, a culty response already for good reason. Um, it won the jury prize at Cannes as well, if that is something that means anything to anyone. Maybe, maybe not. You should just trust our opinions solely. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
But yeah, I mean, regarding kind of like the long beginning thing, because I immediately just started reading interviews with the people involved in this film, up to and including translating <laughs> interviews from Portuguese and Google Translate, Morgan's like rolling her fucking eyes at me, which is fair. Um, but like there was one interview I was reading with the directors where they were kind of talking, they were basically dissing Marvel movies. And it was really, I was just like drinking it in because <laughs> they were kind of talking about their decision to have this quite slow moving, establishing sequence at the beginning. And they were saying, you know, the other day we were watching, like, they were watching, like, fucking Captain Marvel or something. They were just like, every single car chase sequence in every one of these movies is the same. Correct. Uh, <laughs> and they were just like, you watch one of these movies and you know every single thing that's going to happen in the film within the first 45 seconds. You've got the first action sequence within the first 85 seconds. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And they were like, we're only going to put things in this film that you're not going to expect. And I was like, you did that. You did indeed do that. You were like, you were like, okay, we're going to make an hour long drama about a village and it's going to switch genres halfway through. We're going to spend half the the movie like teasing the appearance of a mysterious terrorist. And when he turns up, he's like, let me put my hair extensions in. It's great. <laughs> Again, it's hard to talk about this one because... You can't really talk about it without spoiling yeah. it. But it's um Brazilian Children of Men, but a comedy. I I really don't see the Children of Men comparison, but I respect you. So I think that's in fine. terms of I think politically, in terms of reflecting what is happening now in Brazil politically and in many places that have like a very kind of distant urban rural divide, um, especially to do with physical resources like water and electricity. It is reflecting things that are currently happening in Brazil and in many countries, but in a slightly futuristic sense and kind of set slightly in the future. But it's like there's elements of this film's world building, which they put in the film and then happened in real life after the film came out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't love it as much as you did. I I don't think it felt as um, completely fleshed out or psychologically real to me as it did to you, I would say. And I think almost by design, the characters are all fun and interesting, but they're kind of archetypal, particularly the characters we're not talking about. <laughs> um, can't talk yeah, about the characters that. we're not talking about are very stereotypical. <laughs> which, which that I liked, and that's on purpose. But um, there are so many people in the village that you kind of can only get a little bit of a sense, like a snapshot sense of most of them. And they're doing that on purpose because they want to show you this broad swath of people. But that means that you're only getting the sort of broad swath, which I think is fine. I think I would maybe have been more engaged with a narrower focus. I mean, it was kind of like if you take one of those literary novels where it's like there is no protagonist and there is like 18 members of the village. Right. But like the contrast would be like I just rewatched Nashville mm -hmm. recently, which we did an episode about ages ago. And that's like one of the best movies ever made. So it's not really a fair comparison, but that's a movie yeah. that has like a zillion characters and manages somehow through like alchemy and magic to make every one of them so psychologically specific to like an insane degree. And this movie is just not trying to do that. It's trying to do something else in a more genre sense. And that's, that is fair. That's fine. Like I really, really liked this and enjoyed it, but it didn't hit me quite on the same level as you. I think that is how art works. <laughs> yes. I was like, yeah, I was going to love this movie so much. <laughs> <laughs> you also saw the biopic du jour yeah so we're trying to mix up these episodes so we're trying to fit in as much as possible with a wide variety this is the opposite kind of movie from what we just described judy the judy garland biopic starring renee zellweger this was the first movie i saw at london film festival it was just a really great way to ease into the festival as regular listeners may know 
Neither Morgan nor I holds the biopic genre in high esteem. Most of the time, they are not as good as the film Walk Hard, colon, The Dewey Cox Story, which is a masterpiece and satirizes and ruins every possible uh, musician biopic. However, Judy's great. Just a really straightforwardly great film. Wonderful performance from Mini Zellweger. It's also not trying to cover all of Judy Garland's life, which I find is often... You know, it's like a good way to do a biopic, right? You pick a specific scenario and you focus in on that shit. In this case, it takes place right towards the end of her life. Obviously, she's more famous as a child star for movies like The Wizard of Oz. And, you know, towards the end of her life, she was struggling with substance abuse, which which originated in her childhood because the studio kind of made her take uppers to stay awake for like fucking 18 hour long filming days. And they kind of go into that, but predominantly it's her kind of in her 40s. She's got two kids. She's been divorced several times and she's kind of trying to make it work as a stage singer, just like, you know, as a kind of touring singer. And it's just like a really, it's a really enjoyable and emotionally kind of sincere film. Obviously the stuff that happens to her is upsetting like it's not necessarily a happy story but it didn't make me feel depressed and it's a really wonderful performance from Rene Zellweger you know she is she's like extraordinarily recognizable as Judy Garland even to me someone who is not particularly familiar with Judy Garland but they didn't go overboard with any kind of like teeth or prosthetics or anything she basically still looks like Rene Zellweger so they've got like the perfect balance in there it's just a good biopic good good movie to watch with your mums <laughs> nice mum and aunt film yeah, this is out here at the moment and it's making a lot of money because all the gay men are going to see it and the mums are going to see oh, it. Actually, incidentally, another another element of this, obviously Judy Garland, gay icon. I don't actually know like how much kind of fictionalized elements they have in this, but they have like a gay couple, a middle-aged gay couple who are sort of her fanboys in the movie. And I'm pretty sure they're just complete constructs um, from, from the writers. But considering the fact that like, I went to a Q&A with Rene Zellweger and the filmmakers um, and it seems like it was just a creative team of just like middle-aged straight men who didn't even really know that much about Judy Garland before seeing a play about her and being like, this is fascinating and doing some research. But they actually have like a really sincere kind of depiction of like the relationship that these two men have with Judy Garland as their idol and like when she meets them, how that kind of helps her as someone who basically doesn't have any friends because she's had this fucked up celebrity lifestyle. And I was like, it's a very like straightforward mainstream biopic and they've put that shit in in a way that works. And it's, you know, this film made me cry. Gotta say, film made me cry. <laughs> I have heard an alternate take on that scene from other people, but uh, I have not seen the movie. So I have no opinion. I mean, um, it's not, it's, I'm not going to say it's the wokest movie ever, but I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was sincere and they handled it relatively well. <laughs> A friend of mine laughed during that scene because she thought it was so hokey and then got yelled at in the theater, which I thought was an entertaining anecdote. I was like, oh dear. <laughs> I mean, the, fi the film is a little hokey. I mean, it's it's a movie about Judy Garland having a lot of emotions and she does sing somewhere over the rainbow in this film. Like, I mean, what are you paying for? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see it. I haven't gone yet, but it is out and it's doing very well. Uh, everyone has anointed Renee Zellweger as the winner of the Oscar already, which I find tedious, but, um, I mean, it's a fucking biopic. Like, I mean, yeah. sure. She's good in it. I like Renee. I liked the film. It wasn't the best movie ever, but like, it's reliable. Yes. And she <laughs> hasn't, she's basically not made a movie in like seven years. Plus. Yeah. She just made like Wild. an absolute clusterfuck of Netflix series that was so bad that not only did no one watch it, people tried to pretend that it wasn't even being reviewed. So 
Um, thank God she made this because well done. She did a fantastic job. Yeah. And then another movie that you saw at London and then I saw actually at a festival that happens in New York every year called New Directors New Films, which is in March. So I do not remember it with 100% accuracy, but I do recall it. Um, it was a Colombian film called Manos. So why don't you talk about it first because you will obviously have a better sense of it than I at this point and you liked it more so on both those levels you're the person for this task (laughs) I think Morgan find this film a little more pretentious than I did and I I do fully admit this film is a little pretentious so it doesn't have like a very straightforward narrative but it is about a group of teenage rebels as in wartime rebels Um, they are part of some kind of guerrilla group and at the start of the film, they have already kidnapped a prisoner of war who is just known as Doctora, and she is a white American woman. They're in this very secluded area in the mountains, and um, all of the characters are only known by sort of their nicknames. So the characters all have names like Rambo and Wolf and Lady and Bigfoot. Uh, <laughs> and much of kind of the first half of the film is just sort of like the way they're interacting in this weird little community they've set up for themselves, where occasionally they have a military commander who is essentially acting as a babysitter who comes along and tells them what to do and gives them orders and they all do military drills and the rest of the time they're just acting like a bunch of teenagers under this kind of vague structure they've been given by their guerrilla bosses Um, and it's kind of a Lord of the Flies story you know you can tell even from the start there's like a lot of tension between the different characters Um, you can tell there's going to be some sexual tension because they have to get like permission from their bosses before they become couples actually like Baccarat this is a film that I kind of appreciated it had just like queer and I think subtextually trans or gender non-binary characters in there and it wasn't really remarked upon which is cool to see more and more but you can kind of tell that things are obviously at some point going to go badly and the kidnapped victim is going to try and escape Um, and obviously they've done something bad like they fucking kidnapped someone it's really unclear like why they're rebelling which is intentional because they are just completely detached from everything but like there's really great performances from all of the leads but it's like it's so visually beautiful like like all of the settings in this are just so gorgeous like the locations they choose there's just they're so high up it's like these mountains are in the sky there's lots of beautiful water sequences Uh, yeah the music's by Mika Levi who is just a fantastic composer who did the music for Under the Skin and Jackie the Jackie Kennedy biopic And um, once again, a weird and unnerving soundtrack. She specializes in music that makes you feel bad. And she succeeded once again with this film. Yeah, this isn't going to be like a movie where you're like, I'm going to go and have like a fun evening and go out to see Monos. But I just, I really thought it was excellent. Um, And it was a very beautiful experience for me. And I found it emotionally fulfilling. Morgan did not. No. (laughs) I'm trying to remember exactly what I thought of it because, again, I saw it some time ago. I mean, I got the impression you found it a bit wanky. Oh, oh yes. I definitely remember that I thought that. <laughs> I'm trying to remember all the specifics. Julianne Nicholson, I remember thinking, was really fantastic. Again, plays the doctor. One of my favorite details about this movie was that she... So she's been kept captive um, for some time. And her, all like her gray roots have come like yes. quite far down yes. her hair. Uh, which would happen. Uh, she's early 40s, I think, at this point. And... I just remember thinking, like, what actress would willingly do this? Like, nobody. And I was really captivated by her. I think that she's really, really good in it. And I think she's, in general, a really good actress who kind of hasn't had as big of a career as she kind of should and has done lots of interesting, tiny indie stuff, of which this is one. So I liked her. I thought a lot of the kids were good. The cinematography, as you said, was, like, stunning, and the music is really great. But So the first half of the movie, they're kind of at this one site, and they wind up sort of 
traveling from place to place. And I didn't find the kids, or teenagers, to be really distinctive enough as characters to be engaged with what was going on. They basically just act like sort of maniacs for a lot of the film, especially in those the early part, because their movie's kind of trying to depict a Lord of the Flies type thing, like they're a little bit out of control and they're just doing whatever they want. And then when this commander comes in, they have to kind of shape up. But I really did not have a strong feeling about the psychological makeup of most of them. There are one or two who stand out a little bit and one who continues through the end of the movie as a sort of central character or kind of emerges as a central character, especially near the end of the film. I will add that I felt like I had a perfect pen on each of the characters myself. (laughs) They act so fucking annoyingly for so long that I was just like, I don't understand what I'm supposed to be gaining from this, right? Like it felt very punishing to me in a way that was not pleasurable. And not that I'm expected to go into every movie being like, I'm having a great time enjoying myself. Like I enjoy movies that make me feel bad, but this didn't feel productive. I was just like, um, I hate these people. Like, what is the point of this? And it didn't feel to me like the movie quite knew what it was saying either. Although I'm sure the director would tell you otherwise and uh the director was at the screening i went to and he was a wanker so i was like oh any positive (laughs) thoughts i had about this have now gone out the window sometimes directors maybe shouldn't do the post uh movie q a's because it doesn't always have a positive effect uh i don't remember exactly what he said but it was just like oh no 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 like just garbage just pure like hoity-toity nonsense um, in a way that was not great. He was also extreme. I mean, this is really who needs this on his podcast, but he was super, super hot and then just spouting this nonsense. And I was like, oh no, you're one of those people. And that did not make me feel great <laughs> about this movie. People have smiled and nodded too much when he said stuff. <laughs> Precisely. That is exactly what is going on. So, I mean, there will be people who enjoyed this film. Most of the critics that I have seen talk I, about this really I liked, liked it. it. And also... Afterwards, when I went, when I after I'd seen it and I googled it, I discovered that my close personal friend Guillermo del Toro is also a huge fan. So <laughs> I feel like he and I, you know, were simpatico once again. Yes, uh, but maybe don't read interviews would be my recommendation for yeah, people interested sounds, in this yeah, movie. Yeah, your description hasn't really sold and me. And, and also, it's one of those films where like I like this film, but it's not kind of the thing where I would immediately seek out the next thing that yeah. he'd made. Whereas the next thing the Baccarat guys made, I'm fucking there, yeah. fucking there, man. <laughs> So, you know, mixed views from us on that one. Uh, and I think that that will be it for this episode. Yes, part one. In the meantime, check out my print reviews in the Daily Dot for Knives Out, great film, Ryan Johnson, and The Lighthouse, great film, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. So Yes, I cannot wait to see both of them. Lighthouse soon, Knives Out not until Thanksgiving, but... We will be doing episodes for both of those, which is why we're not discussing them now. Yes. But five stars all right. Yeah. Very exciting. So if you want to read a couple reviews that I wrote, I think I wrote one about pain and glory. I wrote up uh, some sort of capsule reviews of some of the smaller movies, some of which I'll mention in the next episode, and also one for Portia Lady on Fire, which will be our headliner for our next episode. Hell yeah. Hell fucking yeah. (laughs) Great movie. You can find those on our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash overinvested podcast. Gabia is at the daily dot. As she just said, where are you on Twitter, Gab? 
Hello underscore Taylor is my username. Yes. My username on Twitter is ML Davies. The podcast is on Twitter at OverinvestedPod. We are on Tumblr at OverinvestedPodcast. And our website is OverinvestedPodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.